Hello and welcome to another Bond Marathon episode on the Auteur Archives podcast. Out with Roger Moore and in with Timothy Dalton to take on the role of James Bond in the next film, The Living Daylights. Listen now to hear us talk about what we think Dalton brings to the role of 007, his relationship with Kara, the only Bond girl in this movie, a hilarious scene at Q Branch and an epic action-packed finale on an airbase in Afghanistan. As always, we each rate the film out of 10 and discuss where they rank among the others. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to the previous Bond episodes to get up to speed. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Tom, thanks for doing another uh, Bond episode. How are we doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So, looking forward to this one because uh, Roger Moore has uh, retired as Bond, so we've got a new James Bond in Timothy Dalton, um, and today we're going to talk about his first film, The Living, the Living Daylights. Um, before we go into the film itself, I just want to touch base with you on timothy dalton as bond and your thoughts considering you've just come from the roger moore uh movies where it's very much it's fair to say full of humor and tongue-in-cheek stuff so what are your thoughts coming into this with timothy timothy dalton sort of taking over yeah i was I, we said in the last episode that i was we were both ready i think for a new bond yeah um and and timothy dalton the his two films are not two that I've watched that much. I kind of, I definitely remembered certain scenes and, and things, but I've not really seen them as much as, as the others. Maybe because there was just less films. It's kind of more, you remember him less as a Bond because he only did the two. Yeah. Um, but I I thought he just hit the mark straight straight off the bat for me. This This film, I think, introducing a new Bond in the way that the the opening of this does was was just brilliant. I thought it was really good, and I felt he just took on the baton of Bond really well. Um, and this film felt very much like new era Bond. Yeah, definitely. It was a big step change, and probably more akin to Daniel Craig's Bond than Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan's. It's interesting, isn't it? And we'll obviously we'll obviously get there and cover those. But yeah, sure. He's almost like his bond is is a smash together of of Moore and Dalton. It's weird. A hundred percent. I was thinking the same thing that he's just the merging of the two because he can Brosnan can deliver those comedic lines well, maybe mm. not as well as Roger Moore, not as tongue in cheek. Um, but he also has that aggressive side that Dalton has as well. So yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think I agree as well where you said, I think if Daniel Craig has got inspiration from any Bond, it would be Timothy Dalton. I think if purely from his approach to the role, because like you said, I'm the same that I think I've only seen his 
Dalton's films maybe once or twice each. And I, I know bits of them, but I never knew. To be honest, where I stood on before this film was I thought this was okay. And I'll come on to what I think of it in a moment. But I, I think this is the perfect way to bring in the, uh, a new Bond by completely kind of not going the other way, but just going in a, a different route with the character and almost re watching some of the interviews that Dalton did around the time. He was like, well, I want to go back to the books and read Ian Fleming's books to see like, what was he actually like? Because I think with Roger Moore, it went further and further away from what the source material was. So this was kind of a recalibration of what that character is like. And I think it's fair to say there's a, lot less if any humor in these films or this film specifically yeah um and there's obviously an intentional thing because i think the times have changed and it was time for bond to be a bit more down to earth and a bit more realistic whereas before he was a bit more like superman i think and untouchable and you know everything worked out well so it seems a bit more grounded this time um yeah so yeah go on. It's, it's, um, just thinking about Octopussy and For Your Eyes Only that are, that are two of my favourite more films and they're, they're more of the kind of um, rougher Bond films. I just wonder how good they may have been with Dalton actually playing Bond in those two films. I know and I always dream to have that third Dalton film as well because yeah. I just think you know we this, the, the pattern we've seen through the, the previous uh, actors who've managed to do three Bond films like Connery with Goldfinger masterpiece Spy Who Loved Me which for me was his best Roger Moore's best film was also his third film and Daniel Craig as well with, with Skyfall which we'll come on to later so I'd, I would have wished we had that third Timothy, Timothy Dalton film but um, wasn't to be um, I was just doing a bit of uh, research as well before so I didn't know this, but Timothy Dalton was approached for Bond for on Her Majesty's Secret Service way back when. Right. Um, and he turned it down. I think rightfully so, because he was too young. He was only 25. Yeah. So I think that's quite young to be to be Bond. But when they auditioned again for Bond this time around, ahead of this film, they um, it was very close for Sam Neill to be James Bond. He's probably best known from Jurassic Park. Yeah. So he was very nearly James Bond. And they also had Pierce Brosnan lined up for this as well. But I think he had ties to a TV show, so wasn't able to to pull it off. So obviously that that he's you know joined in the franchise later down the line. But all of this I didn't know sort of prior to sort of looking into this ahead of this uh, conversation. But it's just interesting. I thought that they've always had Timothy Dotton in the back of their head to come and do the role. And I think I think actually this has timed out really well. Like he has the right age, I think, to, to come and to do the role, basically. Um, so moving on to this film then and getting sort of a quick summary of your thoughts. So you kind of covered a bit there. So Living Daylights then, how, where do you stand on this just after watching it now? I really liked it. I actually, um, interestingly, I... I make a load of notes when I'm watching them so that we can like talk about different points and I can remember what, what I've been watching and stuff, but I've not got many notes. Okay. And that's because I just really enjoyed watching the film and, and I didn't want to kind of ruin it by, you know, typing away or scribbling away or whatever. Um, and 
yeah I just I just really enjoyed the whole thing I think it it's got it's very action-packed isn't it it's yeah. kind of uh, but it's very yeah it's very physical action um the opening scene is is really cool I really liked that um and the opening scene kind of puts the SAS and and MI6's double O agents sort of against each other which is which is really cool um the plot I think is good yeah um, yeah I think I just really like the whole film really there's, there's loads of stuff I liked about it I, I did too and I I came into this and I looked at my score of what I gave at the start and it was a lot lower than what it is now so I mustn't have enjoyed it way back when and I, I but you're I'm the same I I really enjoyed it this time around I think he's it's a it's just a I think we mentioned this on a, as maybe for for um for your eyes only that it's it's works as a standalone action film as well like it's it's you could come into the franchise at this point and enjoy it obviously then they're, they're all you know different actors and they're not necessarily linked in together but I think this is good sort of refreshing starting point as a, a new new bond and I think yeah it's a, it's such a refreshing point in the in the franchise especially in the marathon we're doing here like it's such a feels like a breath of fresh air um yeah let's go into the intro then so you kind of mentioned it there do you want to go into a bit more sort of detail as kind of what you enjoyed about that and what kind of happens in that scene yeah so it, it starts off with a it's a training training course in Gibraltar I think isn't it yeah um, and the SAS are protecting this base, I guess, army base, and the double O agents are sent in, which is really cool as well, because you you see that there's quite a few double O agents, so they're all mm. on a training course together. Um, and they, the double O agents effectively need to go and stop the SAS guys or, or get past the SAS guys without being noticed. And there's, there's a baddie amongst them who just starts picking off the the double o agents and with relative ease until it gets to bond and then it's sort of you see who's the last one left and he turns around and it just sort of pauses on his face for a bit and you're like okay sweet this is the this is the new bond yeah um and yeah then he then he just sort of kicks ass and there's this great scene that i always remember on the um on the land rover with all the smoke coming out the back um and it's yeah, it's just it's just great, isn't it? It's just enjoyable. I think it's just uh, yeah, a really good intro, almost on par with Connery's intro of just how cool he is, you know, playing uh, in the casino. But it's just such a great. Uh, he doesn't really speak either. There's like a long point where he doesn't speak, and I think the first word he says, "Oh, Bond, James Bond." It was very early on. I think he's like he lands them. Um, so he had that whole stunt where he's on the back of the jeep and he kind of gets in eventually doesn't he and then parachutes out just as that car is about to yeah. blow up and land in the sea um he's his parachute lands on a boat and there just happens to be a woman there <laughs> and there's that line like i wish a man something like i made a note um if only i could find a real man and then bond just lands dead on <laughs> dead on cue like here you go um and bond's like calling in like something's gone wrong blah 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 and um He's like, I'll be there in an hour. And then the, the classic Bond mo uh, moment where the, the girl's like, are you sure you don't want to drink? And he's like, 
make that two hours <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just cool it's so cool he's he's and then from there i'm kind of like sold on him as bond and Definitely, yeah. comparing it to lazenby's intro if you could think back to him on majesty's secret service where it's like it just didn't happen to the other fellow it's kind of like there's none of that wink wink nudge nudge to the viewer it's like no this is me now and like it or leave it sort of thing um yeah and he's um yeah i think he, he plays that so well and he plays that bit well as well like she asks who he is and he then he finally says bond james bond but he's he's just been through all this shit and he's he, he says it like he's really pissed off and like knackered um <laughs> it's just really it's really genuine um yeah i liked it i think i think he genuine is probably a good word i think to describe his portrayal of bonds it's like he is actually a, a double o agent he's he's more more like you said realistic um not just the plots and the gadgets and the stupid stuff that happens but i think he's just more realistic as a as an actual agent than yeah than we've seen before i think so and like you said he delivers that line just how you would imagine someone would deliver it in that scenario rather than a forced hollywood kind of delivery um, yeah. So I'm just going to go on the plot and I'm just going to read this off uh, IMDb. So for Living Daylights, James Bond helps a Russian general escape into the West. He soon finds out that the KGB wants to kill him for helping the general. A little while later, the general is kidnapped from the Secret Service, leading 007 to be suspicious. Uh, so it's kind of quite vague as to what happens. There's obviously a lot more that goes on. So just want to touch base on the plot with you as well because you in your intro you kind of said that the plot was good so it sounds like and i would agree with that and i you know in it, it's not i it's fair to say we're not necessarily here for the plot but it does help things obviously move along um what are your thoughts on the plot in this film uh, in particular it's yeah often often the best plots are the ones that are they just kind of help the film go along but they are worthy of a James Bond film and yeah. I don't I, I generally don't like it when the plots are kind of not not big enough but this this is isn't it it's about Russian defectors and when you've got the Russians involved it's just always good um <laughs> it's just classic Bond isn't it yeah um, definitely Russian defectors and then he's actually playing the British and he's tripped them and there's you know, arms dealers and, and all the rest of it. And that I, I never realised that the Brad Whitaker, the, the arms dealer in this is in Goldeneye, isn't he? I never yeah. realised until I saw this. Yeah, he's like the ally, isn't he, later on? Yeah. I think he's in two. I think he might be in Tomorrow Never Dies as well and like pops up again. Oh, um, right. But yeah, I, I remember that watching it again. Like, oh my God, he's like so much younger and another person who's uh, been in the franchise, but two different characters as well. Yeah, and I um, yeah, I, I liked I liked the whole plot, and I liked how it it moved around a lot. There was a lot of different different scenery, wasn't there? Um, yeah, there's kind of yeah, whole a whole bit in uh, Afghanistan, and that's quite a quite a big change to another Bond, and that that whole scene's brilliant. I love that whole that whole bit. Um, yeah, me too. There's, there's some stuff on snow, which is always good as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a real. I guess like another Bond trope, isn't it? The, the little, a lot of jet setting in here, a lot of different places around the world, which 
and that and that's the thing it's just the plot is just how do we get to those different places i guess so yeah i i think the plot is kind of it's not that it's weak it's just fine i um it's everything else around it that i really enjoyed personally yeah. um so you mentioned uh brad whitaker so we'll go on to the villains quickly now then so i think it's fair to say there's it's not for me there's not a clear villain in this there are kind of two villains and then a henchman so i've got brad whitaker as i guess the main villain in that he's in the finale which we'll, we'll cover uh you've got kozkov who's kind of the guy who's the double defector he defects to well you think he defects to uh, britain and then goes back to soviet union russia uh, and then you've got necros which is the the henchman um but i'll quickly go to brad whitaker as you've mentioned him first as a villain do you think he holds up compared to some of the villains we've seen so far what do you think of him as a, as a caliber of villain and do you do you rate him i guess i do rate him because i think he plays that type of villain really well which is which isn't the evil villain it's not necessarily overly um nasty villain um mm -hmm. and malicious it's, he's just a a businessman who's who's into into crime and he's sort of that he's the villain who enables the evil people to do evil stuff um and i think he plays that kind of businessman he's an arms dealer um but he obviously sells arms to to the bad guys not the good guys yeah. um and i think he does i think he does play that character pretty well he's yeah he's good i think he's more the slimy villain isn't he he's like the middleman yeah. that that he wants to, he doesn't want to get too involved. And he almost reminds me of the, um, I can't remember his name, but the villain in uh, For Your Eyes Only, where he's kind of the middleman as well. And they're after that, uh, that device that he's just trying to get things along and he's working with the KGB as well. And yeah. it was very similar to that. Um, I think he's okay. I don't think he's particularly memorable. Like there's a lot of villains that, doing before this marathon i knew their names coming in it wasn't until watching this again i remembered what his name was so i think for me that just proves perhaps that he's not as memorable as some of the others are um he does have one of the <laughs> possibly the funniest scenes in the film and there's not a lot of funny scenes and again that's kind of intentional so like you said brad whitaker is this arms dealer but he's obsessed with like military and warfare and not historical warfare and you go to like his premises and he's got all these statues of like historical figures you've like to do with war so you've got hitler napoleon genghis khan and then when you first meet him <laughs> he's standing next to the statues as a statue but you're not quite sure at this point like is he a statue and he's standing there for ages and these guys are waiting for him and he's still still for a good 10 seconds and he's like Hi, I'm Brad Whitaker. <laughs> puts his arm out, and it was, <laughs> it's quite a dumb intro for a villain who's supposed to be kind of menacing. Like he's just blending in with these historical yeah. figures. I did. Uh, I had to pause that. I thought that was quite funny. It kind of took <laughs> me by surprise because up until that point, it's very serious. <laughs> it's very serious, yeah. And it, I think he is. He's probably the the kind of dumbest character, isn't he? He's kind yeah. of a he's a bit of a numpty, and he's sort of that kind of almost lovable idiot bad guy isn't he 
I so. think so, yeah. And even sort of his demise at the end. So, yeah, we're kind of jumping around, but we'll go to the sort of outro piece where he's literally playing soldiers. <laughs> like yeah. he's got this massive cabinet with soldiers and he's like got buttons to simulate smoke and bombs going off and gunfire. And Bond has doesn't do the classic thing of sneaking into his base. He literally walks through the front door and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and they have this, um, I kind of, I guess, the brief shootout. I, we'll, we'll quickly go on to the, that part of the outro now then. What do you think of his demise? For me, it's a bit, I mean, I guess it's kind of fitting of his character that he doesn't get a massive send off to say like Blofeld or, or a high caliber villain that we've seen so far. Um, and in the sense, so his, how he's killed off here is Bond and uh, Whitaker having this shootout um, and Bond uses the gadget of the explosive like key ring to blow up a statue which then lands on him and crushes him against his like soldier cabinet of toys and stuff what did you think of that as the kind of the not the finale but the kind of closing outro of this film i i thought it was quite good actually because it's quite it's quite fun um mm. at the end of the film which is all quite it's all quite gritty really up up to that point it's um there's a lot of tension going on. There's a lot of kind of gritty action. And that fight is just a bit more fun. And Brad Whitaker's just got these like big fuck off massive guns and <laughs> he's just blowing the shit out of everything. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, he's got all this armor and, and crazy stuff like that. And Bond's basically got nothing on him. So he's just sort of running away from all these massive bullets and explosions and shit. And then he, Bond just kind of gets him using his wit and it just sort of sums up that Brad Whitaker character of he's just this big bumbling idiot with a big fuckload of guns. Yeah. Um, and Bond just sees him off by yeah using using a bit of trickery and, and crushing him. So it's not really overly hard for him, even though Brad's got every weapon you could imagine. Yeah. So I think it's I think it I think it works. I think it's kind of the perfect way to to kill him off, really. I, I think before I used to think, oh, that's kind of, a, it was a bit anticlimactic way before I watched it years and years ago. But now kind of seeing him as that bumbling idiot villain, um, it is quite fitting. And it does have a quite a good line where Bond's run out of his bullets and Whitaker's like, well, you've had your eight. Here's my 80. And like pulls out <laughs> this machine gun and just devours the whole room with bullets. It's, it's brilliant. Um so, yeah, I kind of mentioned the other, I guess, villains in quote marks as well, because for me, Whitaker's like the, the the bumbling idiot, but is, you know, he's he's supplying everyone with the weapons. Then you've got Kozkov, which is kind of the brains, I guess, out of the, the three that I've listed. Um, he's obviously playing the part of the defector and getting basically Pushkin, which is I I. I grudge to say a villain really he's just someone who gets caught up in this yeah um, and Koskov is essentially blaming Pushkin for the defection and he was a part of it and all this stuff so just quickly on Koskov then what did you think of uh, him as a character in this I thought he was good I think he's um he, he plays he does play that part really well um and he's kind of a big a big villain but is is very physical as well and and his fights with bond are very much um 
physical rather than just sort of shootouts. Um, yeah, I, I thought he's a he's a good villain. He's got um, he's got everything you need really from a good villain. Yeah, I I think he's quite likable because at the start before yeah. before he defects, he's like, oh, he's quite fun. He's like, oh, James Bond, you've come to save me. He's like really thankful and stuff like that. And then as you find out that he's actually the villain, he's like he turns his character around and he's just turns into an arsehole basically. Yeah. Um, but he's still trying to worm his way around people because Pushkin, who I'm pretty sure the actor who plays Pushkin is the guy who plays Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Really? I'm pretty sure it is. Um, he's certainly, I'm, I think he's the same guy who's in Indiana Jones as well. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to look at that in the background. It's probably completely wrong, but I, I'm no, sure. I think yeah, you are right. You are right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I, is knew, quite... I knew I recognised the name, John Reese Davis. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And I, I just knew. I was like, I'm sure that's Gimli. Obviously, not the same height, but the same actor. Um, yeah, and uh, just on him, I thought he was great in very limited time that he's on screen. Um, he's also likable, if if only for the scene where he works with Bond for Bond to. Uh, bring out the assassin so there's a whole thing about Koskov is trying to convince Bond that Pushkin is the real villain but Bond outsmarts him and really figures out that he's not and they set up this like fake assassination in public so Pushkin's doing this speech and um, the Russians want Bond to kill Pushkin and convince him to do or they think they've convinced him to do so and he kind of shoots him openly in this uh while he's doing a speech in front of the press, I believe. And um, everyone thinks he's dead and actually Pushkin's kind of like wheeled away and even his wife is convinced he's dead. Yeah. He's actually got these like blood splatter things on his chest. Um, so yeah, he, he's, and even when um, towards the end where Koskov is trying to win Pushkin's favour again, he's like, oh, thank you for saving me. And Pushkin's just like, fuck this, you're, you're done, mate. <laughs> I think you say take him away in a body bag or something like that. Something yeah. along those lines. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's good. I think he is, he's got a good presence, I think, on screen. Um, but the one I'm looking forward to talking about is the henchman, Necros. So I think he has some great stuff in this. Um, he's, <laughs> I've put down Necros, the killer milkman. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you think of him uh, as a henchman as well? He's brilliant. He he plays that kind of um, henchmen are quite often almost silent, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and he plays he does play that part really really well. And yeah, I love that's that's probably the scene that I remember really well. Actually, is him as a milkman um, <laughs> on the milk float. And um, we haven't talked about the soundtrack and and the theme and stuff like that. But oh, of course, he yeah. um, he's often wearing headphones with um like a cassette player and then uses the cord of the headphones to to strangle his um well to strangle people to 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 do his evil evilness but i love how i just love the music that he's always listening to and i love that addition that he's wearing he's wearing this um yeah cassette player with his headphones and yeah every time he's in it it plays the music and it's slightly louder and it's just it's just really really well done um, and yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great henchman. He's he's yeah strong, isn't he? And he's he's just 
a proper decent henchman. <laughs> I, I think so. And he, seem, he he keeps taking sort of different uh, roles, I guess, as well, because he's there's this whole milkman piece. And also he, he switches accents like so easily. He goes yeah. from American to like British to German and Russian or whatever. Um, but yeah, the milkman bit, I think is great. Like he just easily, like Koskov is in like, what would you call it? It's like a countryside residence for MI6. And they've got Koskov there like laying low. And he just like goes in, no problem. Stealths his way in like undercover as this milkman. But um, I always remember that as well. He has the the cassette uh, like the headphones to choke people out with. And he has the milk uh, bottles that are just like grenades. <laughs> like when he yeah. throws them, they blow up. I was like, that is so good. Because you wouldn't know. If someone threw a milk bottle, milk bottle at you, you'd move out of the way. You wouldn't think, oh, shit, it's going to blow up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think he's great. And there's that fight in the kitchen as well. It's, it's with, with one of the, like, staff who's like a security, I think. Yeah. It's so brutal. And they're like he's ramming his face on the grill while it's on and like there's knives and that it's just, it was much more intense than I remember it. And um, yeah. And then later on he plays the balloon man. He's like, right at the fun fair. <laughs> and he's got, he's just walking around with loads of balloons. Going, Would you like a balloon? <laughs> when actually he's just like watching, waiting for his opportunity to strike. I think he, he is like you said, the perfect kind of henchman that, I put down as, the, as a good henchman in the in the franchise of someone who's quiet. He's there to clearly do a job. Um, he doesn't question that job. He just goes and does it and almost takes pleasure out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's great. And and I think as well, we'll cover this whole wider scene sort of later on. But the scene on the plane uh, where they're fighting while they're hanging off this like cargo like a rope's worth of cargo like just like all these bags and stuff and like he has that fight with bond where he's like he's grabbing onto bond's shoe and bond like uses his knife to cut his laces off so his bond uh, his yeah. boot flies off and i uh, probably cut to the best one-liner so necros is hanging on his boot the, the laces go off and he just falls off the plane without a parachute Cut to Bond. Cut to Bond in the plane, and the Bond girl's like, "Oh, um, where's he gone?" And he's like, "He's got the boot." Oh yes, that is fucking <laughs> classic. That is yeah. up there, top five lines for me. That's a classic. <laughs> it's such an easy one, and <laughs> and there isn't many lines in this. One liners in this, I don't think. Um, but I thought that was a great line, and D- Dalton delivers it quite well. Yeah, he does. Um, um- yeah, should we let's let's cover that whole plane scene while we're on it. Go on then, um, let's go. Yeah, you go first then. It's it's my favourite action sequence of all Bond films so far. Bold, I think, but fair. I think it is. I think it is brilliant. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's so good, and yeah, I, I, what what do you think of it? I love it, and do you know, I think the main reason I love it is it sounds ridiculous to say but because it's outside you know it's not a set and you know they're there and you know that they're doing all of this stuff um i was watching the documentary after and they literally just hired out this like tarmac airstrip took it over and had all of these planes and props and stuff like that to to do it 
and like the whole build up to like the plane taking off, which we'll, we'll come on to as well. Like it's so action packed. There's so much going on. You don't know where to look and you almost feel like you're stuck in the middle of it because it is quite yeah. frantic, isn't it? Cause you kind of have this, um, I've put down Afghan militia who kind of help out bond. Who he's kind of won them over. Hasn't he? And like treats them as an ally and they're attacking while bonds trying to get on the plane and you've got that really tense moment where Bond is dressed up as one of the, the Afghan militia uh, and, and like is helping put in these, I think it's opium into the, into the plane. Yeah. And um, he sets a bomb and the plan is for Bond to go on the plane, set a bomb and get off the plane. But just as he's about to, Koskov and all the people that know who Bond is recognize him. He's like, fuck. So then this, that's how this whole thing starts, isn't it? And you've got like people on horseback shooting, you've got people in cars, you've got people in planes, it, you know, there's explosions everywhere. It's just so good. And like I said, yeah. it, there's no sets. It's all just happening on screen, which I, I really joy, enjoy. Yeah, the whole that whole piece, the whole kind of battle scene and massive fight between the, the Russians and the Afghans is really good. And then and then moving on to the plane scene. I love, I love as they're all fighting. So the Russians are just totally taken by surprise aren't they and well it actually starts which i really like how it starts as well is bond goes off and he's kind of obviously in trouble and the the love the the female character the bond girl goes after him Mm. um on a horse and so all the um yeah afghan militar um are like oh fucking women okay we'll go (laughs) we'll go after her as well and get involved and they just are all on horseback and just end up just fucking up the Russians like big time shooting the shit out of them, which is brilliant. And there's a scene where um, the kind of head head Afghan guy, um, is it Camrans something like that? Cam. Cam yeah, I, I did make it up of his name, but I think it is something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a great bit where he he jumps from a JCB onto a horse and he's like scooped up these grenades and they just like blows up a load of Russians and he's just like so good gallops off on this horse um but yeah so there's this like huge battle scene going on and then like you said um they end up on a plane with the Cara the Bond girl and Bond and and then yeah mega henchman there that then turns into this crazy fight out the back of the plane with a bomb in it that's going to go off and they're beating the shit out of each other and it's just really good and there's, there's kind of a bit of comedy in it as well because Kara's flying this plane but she's like all over the place and they're like you're just watching from a distance this plane with they're hanging out the back and she's just fucking flying them around yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just so good it really is good um and they're properly getting chucked about as well what well, on looks, that on the plane the cargo bit yeah, oh. yeah on the on the cargo net hanging out the back they're they're really getting chucked around um and yeah the death of the henchman to bond kind of slowly unpicks his laces doesn't he mm. and then he just falls out the back um the only thing i think they missed is um again the bomb was diffused with two seconds left when it could have said 007 and every they time should, they miss it i'm like they should just on. do that they should just do it it's just all the fans just be like the diehards be like yeah love that yeah, yeah it's like two seconds i was like yeah i missed it again <laughs> um 
Yeah, but then then he resets the bomb and then they fly back round and they help the Afghans blow up a bridge and they're fucking up the Russians again. And then they blow up this whole bridge. And then... (laughs) 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 This is why it's... it's, Yeah. yeah, My favourite action sequence, just because it's like, it's so little boy fun, just (laughs) brilliant. And then they jump in a jeep and then parachute out the back of the plane. <laughs> and then the, the plane just fucks off. Obvi- obviously, it runs out of fuel because, yeah. you know, bombs on a plane, it's going to run out yeah. of fuel. Um, so they fuck off out the back of it in a Jeep. Plane blows up. And then Bond says, <laughs> I know a great restaurant in Karachi. We can make it. We can make it in time for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't address anything that's happened before. He's like, oh, I'm quite actually quite hungry. Um, do you mind if we stop off to the restaurant? It's just smooth, as smooth as silk. He's so yeah. smooth. But yeah, no, I, yeah, mate, I loved, I loved that scene. I'm going to watch it again yeah. soon. <laughs> I don't blame it, but I think why I like it is it, it feels, not in a bad way, but it feels like it goes on for ages. Like, it's such a big set piece, and there's loads of moving parts. Like, you've just said, like, you have the initial fight where the Afghans help out and they're fighting on the tarmac on the airstrip. Then you've got the plane. Then you've got them fighting on the back of the plane uh, with the cargo bit. Then you've got the whole tense bit where um, they try and dodge the cliff. That That's one bit that annoyed me, actually. So Bond has said, oh, oh, I say this when I've never flown a plane myself. So there's <laughs> that. But he's like, just keep this straight. And she has one job because she's like lift, you know, she is rising the like the plane up and down at various points. And he's in the back. Bond has got the plane. He's fight, fought off the henchman. He's killed him. He's like, turned the bomb off. Or done all of that. He comes back and, she, and he's like, for fuck's sake, there's a fucking mountain right in front of you. And he has to <laughs> kick her out of the way. Like you had one job. Just like try not to fly into a mountain. <laughs> so he's having to do that and he's like oh just give him a break and then he's like right now we need to do the car he just doesn't sit he doesn't sit still for like 20 minutes um but yeah all of that and i think one thing i i firstly didn't notice now that's a, and that's a good reason for that or it's a good thing is that you know in the previous bond films you can tell especially with roger moore you can tell it's a stuntman None of that I've felt throughout this film at all. Yeah, Not definitely. just this scene, but throughout the whole film. And I know that Dalton did a lot of the, the scenes on the Jeep at the start. It was mostly him to a degree. Um, and I think most of that, I know he wasn't hanging off the plane, but it doesn't seem so obvious that like they're not zooming on his face. And they do that thing of, uh, I don't think it's green screen back then, but the equivalent of where they've got the backdrop and it's not, you know, they cut to, a close-up of Dalton. No, that all seems seamless. Like it all feels like he is there. It's not really obvious. Like some of the more films, some of the Connery ones as well, when it, they didn't have quite the technology they do at this point. And also that you mentioned the the scene where Bond throws the bomb down and blows that bridge up, and that's intercut with an actual bridge and miniatures. But I, it's so hard to yeah point that out. Like I remember you said on the the spy who loved me episode like it's so obvious that the the little boat that flies out of the the lair it's like it's clearly a miniature but it's all of it seems so seamless like you don't unless you're really focusing on it you don't notice it and all of that 
I just have to appreciate it. Like it's, it's such, there's such work gone into making that seem so seamless that it needs to be appreciated. But uh, yeah, it's easily, I'm going to have to think if I agree with you for the biggest, like the best action set piece, but from the, the grandness of it, it's such a, it's such a staple at this point. It's like a blueprint from moving forward. It's like, all right, we, we did that in the last film. We need to up the ante. And now, I'm looking forward to License to Kill to see if that occurs again or something similar or even beats it. Um, but yeah, easily, easily from an action set piece, one of, well, it is the best bit in this film, definitely. Are you a fan of anime, manga, comic book art and everything in between? Or perhaps know somebody who is? then make sure to check out the work from Instagram artist NoopsDS on teespring.com where you can purchase some incredible artwork on t-shirts, mugs, stickers, phone cases and much more. Personally, I've bought the t-shirt with the Spider-Man print in black which looks fantastic and is a perfect fit. Various different colours are available and shipping is worldwide. To find out more, head on over to teespring.com forward slash doors forward slash NoopsDS that's N-O-O-P-S-D-S. And check out all the incredible work on Instagram at NoopsDS. Links are also available in the episode description. The other um, set piece I want to quickly run by is kind of a longer piece. I think it's towards the middle of the film. Is uh, Bond in the car while he's in, I think then, uh, Czechoslovakia. Um, and he's in the new Aston Martin V8, which firstly, I think it looks pretty fucking cool. Um, yeah. It's no DB5, but it's still Aston Martin. Um, yeah. The scene where he, he's basically a car chase and then kind of what leads into that car chase as well that goes onto the iced, uh, the lake that's iced over. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that scene? Did that, I guess it doesn't hold up to this, the, the scene we just talked about but did you still think that was quite a, a kind of a fun action scene yeah I did I yeah it's nice to see him back in an Aston Martin that was cool it's a cool car it's a it's a good chase and then the bit on the ice is is it's good and it, it's it's well balanced between it being a good action-packed kind of car chase and explosions and um the car's got a load of gadgets and stuff in it again, but he also drives into this like shed and then <laughs> he's effectively driving a massive shed around this lake, which, which is just, it's just good. And it's got jetpacks on the car and all sorts um, and a self-destruct button. Um, yeah. I liked it. I liked the whole scene. I thought it was good. It is good fun. I, I still hate the self-destruct button. Like why do you have to blow up the Aston Martin? like just don't do stop blowing your cars up um but yeah i think it's i think it's good fun we'll come on to the gadgets a bit in a moment because i've made a list of there's quite a few in this or at least moments with the q branch as well which i'm (laughs) looking forward to talking about um so we mentioned cara as the bond girl so it's worth noting that there is only one bond girl in this and i think again that is another thing that dalton wanted to push for that he wanted to be sort of a kind of monogamous character and kind of have just one love interest. Um, so firstly, thoughts on that, just having the one Bond girl, like, did that, was that a, a, 
you know, I guess it is obviously a difference, but did, is it something that was glaringly obvious? And do you miss Bond not having five girls on his arm? And also, what do you think of Kara uh, as a as a Bond girl? I think I think the one Bond girl works well. I think it worked well in this film as well. Yeah. Um, it having the having the female parts didn't. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of distraction from the from Bond. Um, and yeah, Kara, she's she's a pure damsel in distress, isn't she? She is a hundred percent that character. And she's um she's Koskov's girlfriend and kind of doesn't realise that he's he's a baddie and then does find out he's a baddie. So she she kind of ends up with Bond as sort of she needs to to be looked after yeah and um, and i like i think she plays that that the part well she's not irritating she's not overly ditzy and stupid she's she's just a, a girl who's caught up in a load of shit mm. and and the bond car relationship i think is is good um it it kind of i found it a bit awkward and a bit forced at the beginning but I think that's actually just well played by Dalton that it makes it kind of obvious that he's, he's not interested in her. He's just kind of trying to use her. Um, and, and so it is forced and it is fake, but then throughout he kind of, he does end up liking her and it's, it's quite good because he, he has this sense of responsibility that you can tell, but also she's in the way and he's kind of, he gets mm. pissed off with her. Um, but feels responsible and also obviously fancies her because she is fit. Um, <laughs> and and then I really like the kind of the turn as well when, you know, you realise that she does actually care for Bond and he goes off and he's risking his life and she then chases after him on the horse and she ends up beating people up and doesn't get kidnapped or anything stupid like that and cause a nuisance. Um, yeah, I think I think she's a really strong character, actually. I I thought she was great as well. I think, yeah, that 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 character change of her, because she the first half of the film she is kind of the, um, the damsel in distress that Bond is kind of constantly trying to find and help out, um, and then it's that second piece where she leads the charge, which is like completely different um, character, and she's just. You know, almost it's that point. I think that she you realise that she cares for Bond more than is let on. I think I really liked the dynamic between Bond and Kara in this, and especially Bond and another Bond girl, just as uh, in the franchise at this point. Because normally there is like three different, at least a minimum of two or three Bond girls, and you have to kind of split that time throughout the film. And now, and now we've had just one Bond girl. That relationship blossoms more than all the other films because we have them more time where they're together and it's not split between him and a different Bond girl and another Bond girl and that sort of thing. So I feel like the relationship is is more focused on here than just being Bond is with a Bond girl for X, Y, Z reasons. Um, but I, it almost feels, and I don't mean this in a bad way as well, but it's kind of got that rom-com trait of boy lies to get close to girl um uh girl kind of falls for for guy guy then tells the truth of like the why i'm doing this but actually since i've been lying to you i actually have fallen for you 
and then they eventually like rekindle towards the end so it's kind of it has more of a rom-com or romance element in this than perhaps any of the above bond films after and bond i think i've made a note that he's not forceful at all like there's even it's like minor things that he's like they went to a hotel and he's booked two rooms like yeah. some of the bonds would be like no you, you're staying with me like blah 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 and it's a bit more forceful where he is just he's spit, step back and he's a bit more respectful and like lets things build up and he's never i never makes a, a point of just saying you know like really over, turns on the flirtation it almost seems like it is genuine. Again, it goes back to Dalton's approach to, to Bond. It's all very genuine and it just builds throughout the film rather than, oh, he's so attractive. I, they're both attracted to her and they jump into bed. It's nothing like that. It all sort of blossoms. And I think it has a really good... I think the ending as well is, is great. And I think it, it solidifies at that point Bond uh, Dalton as Bond. And I could, was fully on board where... This have the whole this whole piece where Cara is a cellist, plays in an orchestra and has a dream of playing a particular concert. Um, and at the end of that concert, she's actively looking for Bond. Like, where is he? And he, he's nowhere to be seen. It's like she is really like upset by it. And then you've got this great scene where she kind of goes into the dressing room, is a bit somber and upset that he's not there. And then he is there. He's just hiding behind, and he's got the the whistle like key ring and she's just like over the moon that he's there and he's like you didn't think I'd miss this and it's just such a I hate this as corny as it sounds such a sweet ending it's a sweet ending for a Bond film and I I was on board with it and it's all believable none of it for me felt forced and I thought their relationship was was great yeah I agree I love the ending and yeah it wasn't um it wasn't the Honor Majesty's Secret Service entire film was just a fucking rom-com piece of crap it was um <laughs> i'm still bitter about that film I could tell, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah I, I love the ending and it's brilliant i love how the afghans burst in as well and they've got these um <laughs> they've got like a load of bullet kind of string like the, like the bandoliers them. yeah they've yeah. got loads of bullets on yeah it's brilliant and they he says we had trouble getting through customs it's just so funny and then then you're right yeah it is I, I just put this really cute. It's just a really cute, nice ending. And they they just genuinely like each other, don't they? And they're joking yeah. with this gadget and, and it's it's really nice. And I'm I'm kind of sad that that relationship ends in this film and it's not there's it's not continued. I, I know. Yeah, I like her. I think I they're cute. <laughs> I can't believe how soppy we're sounding, but I totally agree with everything you've said. It's such it's just a nice ending compared to Bond being on another boat saying, yeah, we're about to shag now. <laughs> In short, it's like none of that. It's none of that uh, wink to the audience. It's like you, you actually believe that they kind of love each other by the end. And there's this great uh, fun moment as well where they're arguing, where, where basically it's when they're in the Afghan militia uh, part of the film. And Bond's like, I need to get back out there. I, I need, but you need to stay here. And she's like, you can't go. And by this point, you know that she's really fallen for him. And he's like, no, I have to go, but you need to stay. And then she starts beating him up with a pillow and called him, and calls him a horse's ass in Russian. And he's just like, sorry, <laughs> did you just call me a horse's ass? And they kind of just laugh it off. Yeah. Again, it's another great fun moment. And it's the right side of 
cute. It's not too twee where it's like, ugh, get me the bucket. I just, I was on board with it. And I think relationship-wise for the franchise, I think it's one of the strongest, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so going on to the next bit, it's going to go on more lighthearted stuff. Um, I want to talk about the gadgets uh, and the car and the chases in this. We've kind of talked about the chases, to be fair. So we'll mainly talk about the gadgets. So I am going to say this now, and this will probably change, but this is my favourite Q branch scene. And it's a very okay. short one, but I just thought it was great. I think it's so fun. Um, I don't know. What, firstly, I don't know what you thought of this, this scene or if you made a note of this particular moment. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was great. It was, um, yeah. There's a there's a very funny, funny moment. I like the gadgets are, are funny and, yeah, classic Q branch scene. And and there's a new money penny which is introduced. Yes, there. yeah. Um, Who, yeah, she's fit. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think it was about time they brought a yeah. new money penny because it's the same one since Doctor No, and like you know, it it worked because, um, yeah, because she she fancied bond and he kind of yeah flirted with her still but yeah. she would have been too old for dalton yeah. to have that flirty relationship with yeah so they um yeah no she was she was a brilliant money penny but yeah she got um yeah we upgraded to a newer model yeah that's just brutal but fair but yeah i i, I um i really like this scene it's almost a complete the setup, like you know, like um, in all of the Bond films prior to this, you have that scene where Bond walks through that leather-bound door, and like he M's at the desk, and here's your mission. We don't necessarily get that. We kind of get that in the Q branch bit. It looks like the whole thing is fresh. Like they've said, like let's scrap everything we've done here and start with a blank canvas. When I I think that's great, um, and I'm glad. Obviously, they've kept Q as well. I think Q, you know. It would have been, I would have been gutted if like, watching this for the first time and Cube was a different actor at this point because he's just, you know, he's just part of the franchise. You, you, you can't do that. Um, yeah. But I, I thought it was fun. I thought um, you kind of got both the funniest bit for me was the Ghetto Blaster ghetto Rocket. Blaster, yeah. So good. That is so good, isn't it? <laughs> it's so fun. And like, and Q is just, he's like a kid in the candy shop. He's just like, so of them goes, oh, we're working with this, but the Americans on this one. And it's just like, I just thought it was fun. Um, I know there's yeah. some more later on. I think particularly one in Goldeneye. It certainly appears for some one. They, they get more and more outlandish, which is which is why I love the Q branch scenes, because they just get more and more ridiculous. Um, I think Q, Q just gets better and better as well. I think he, he just, he always delivers and yeah, I, do, I always like the Q branch scene, whatever the film is, whatever I think of the film. I love Q and I love the Q branch scenes. 100%. It's even the bit where there's a guy sitting on uh, a sofa and Q just presses a button and the, <laughs> the sofa essentially eats him up and then Q just sits on it. And he's just like loving life. He's got all these gadgets that only he knows about and he's just walking around pissing people off. He could give a shit. It's so good. Um, there's a few, and I love the, um, we've mentioned, or I mentioned briefly, the key ring that has the stun gas. I love the fact that when you set it off, you have to whistle the first few uh, bars of Rule Britannia. I was like, so yeah. British. I was yeah, like, that so is good. fucking cool. 
Um, I completely forgot about that for, um, for this time around. So it was nice to see that again. I just thought that was a great little touch that yeah. they threw in there. And it works quite well as the, the outro as well, which is good. Um, there's quite a few. So I made it, we mentioned about the Aston Martin uh, V8, where he's got so many gadgets as well. He's got the laser uh, that cuts through the uh, Russian car cuts it completely in half you've got the spike tires on the uh um, yeah. on the ice and i <laughs> the dumbest one for me though but i fully embraced it was the skis <laughs> the car with skis like i just love that he's like for the off chance i may be on a, an icy lake let's install some skis onto a car because um, q q does actually say that we've given the aston um some winter upgrades so he does actually he does mention it that it would have some some relevant things but yeah you do expect it just to be kind of studs in the tires not fucking yeah. well, I, makes... love, I love that laser because it's yeah it's the same gadget as in the db5 but just upgraded to a laser instead of the kind of the blade yeah yeah the sword, which is i love that nod to the to the db5 brilliant yeah that is a good shout yeah i i love the, i love the car i think it's um I think it's great. And there's, like I said, this rocket engine as well with that whole bit where, you know, flies over that ramp and just lands on the other side. It's just so, it's a great stunt. It's a good fun stunt, sort of a mid film stunt as well, as it sort of builds up uh, further and further throughout the film. I, I, I put it as a gadget, but it's not really a gadget. I thought it was really cool at the very start of the film where Bond has given the mission to snipe shoot the sniper using a sniper as well and in order to blend himself in with the background it turns all the lights off bond's wearing a tux and he has like this just velcro like bit to cover the shirt so he like pulls it over his tux and just like it just he does it so effortlessly that he's like he's done this 50 times before mm. but again it's just another little cool moment that is very short moment on screen um, but like it's that everything's been thought of. It's like, right, I need to blend in with my black tux. Let me just cover my white shirt by having just an installed Velcro piece that just blocks it off. Yeah, but definitely um, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's all those little things that make it, like we said, more genuine, more believable, more realistic that that just make this film, yeah, so, so good. And yeah, just kind of upgrades it to that um, more realistic kind of thing. Although... There is one scene where there's one, I guess, gadget, but I, I've put, I've called them bino glasses, but they're oh, these, yeah. these, basically they're glasses that are binoculars um, that are meant to be less conspicuous than using normal binoculars, but they're just, <laughs> they're just so ridiculous. I don't know what it is with like spectacle based gadgets in Bond films that just, they're just fucking terrible. It just reminded me of the same thing with View to a Kill where Roger Moore had these massive yeah. like bow selector glasses with like x-ray vision or whatever it was that were just yeah. so obviously a gadget and it's the same it's the same with this because Bond sat in a car isn't he yeah. and rather than just look through binoculars which you know, is dodgy, but it, and, you know it's you, it's obvious what you're doing. He's got glasses on with these fuck off binocular lenses on them. It's like it's the same thing, but he's like rotating both of them with both hands. It's just, <laughs> it just again, it's like if anyone saw it, it'd be like it, it makes no difference to you. Just you're so obvious as you might as well just be using normal binoculars. 
but hey. Yeah. No, we'll let it off. We'll let that off. We'll let it off, exactly. Um, so one thing we've completely forgot to mention, and I, you mentioned it halfway through this, is the theme tune. So AHA um, doing the theme for Living Daylight. So I think it's fair to say, I imagine the uh, Duran Duran being so popular with View to a Kill on the previous one, they thought, hmm, we'll do another pop-like theme tune as a, as opposed to their more orchestral ones like Goldfinger and like the Connery era, basically. Um, thoughts on the theme tune? I think it's, it's funny that we've forgotten to mention it. Um, yeah. Because that just sums it up for me is I've written never gave it the appreciation it deserves because I actually think it's really good, mm. but I've, I've just never ever think of it as a Bond film and don't, I never remember it. Um, but I think it works really well. I think it's, it's perfect for this film. Um, and as always, it's, it's played throughout the film. I, I just really like it, but it is forgettable. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 it's interesting because I remember on the previous episode, like I was dying to talk about the theme tune because I love the, the Duran Duran Free to a Kill theme tune. But yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb in the title sequence as a theme tune because some of the other ones like uh, all time high it's just like this yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't work it, it works fine it's just again it's it's a good song um but yeah it's not it's not maybe it's a, as well is i wonder if the duran duran one stood out more because the rest of the film was pretty shocking whereas this film there's so much good stuff i think there's stuff in the film that's better than the theme tune like the you know like dalton for example yeah. i think that's the main talking point and the theme tune just gets lost in the shuffle i think that's perhaps why we've not necessarily talked about it that much um but yeah i think i'd agree it's kind of okay i think um so i've probably missed out loads but they're they're the notes i've made uh for the film is there anything that you've you've got down um, there's a couple of one-liners that I've noted down, um, and and something else actually that that is kind of a, a very slight bit of plot that's not really mentioned much through the film, but is yeah. is interesting for for Bond geeks that I'll mention as well. But when he when Bond slices the police car in half with his with his laser, he says salt corrosion. <laughs> I I did like that though. I just thought it was like that's weak. I thought yeah. that was quite weak, but it's, it's, I think it's funny because Timothy Dalton says it's so deadpan. Yeah, but I think it's also... been told, it's like he needs to meet his one-liner quota. Yeah, but I think also because the, you know, a laser cut in a police car in half is, is probably the most sort of Roger Moore-esque yeah. bit of this film, that, that to have a really shit one-liner with it is... <laughs> is fine it just it works doesn't it yeah, you could yeah. you know you you say you could watch this film as a standalone film if it was if it didn't have james bond in the title and there was a a laser that cut a car in half and then he said salt corrosion you'd just be like this is the worst film i've ever seen but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it don't it just you know it works it's it's allowable yeah definitely. Um, and there's another one liner which i think is a a reuse of a one-liner. I think there's a couple oh, actually in, okay. in this film that's this a reuse, but he says, um, 
we have an old saying too, Yorgi, and you're full of it. And I'm pretty sure that's been used in another. Yeah, it's um, Roger Moore says it to Scaramanga in Golden Gun in his yeah. base. I made the same note. I was like, I'm, it's, it's not word for word the same, but the, essentially the punchline is the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I thought, I, I wondered that. I was like, yeah, I'm sure that is. And I'm like looking around for it and I'm pretty sure it's Golden Gun. Uh, when they're at the dinner table together at the near the end, yeah. yeah, that's that's a good observation. It's kind of maybe a a nudge to the yeah. the Bond fans as well. Yeah, um, and then there's this kind of plot theme that goes through it, which is this death to spies thing, which I don't not overly sure how it links to to the rest of the plots really, but. It never mentions it, but that is Smirsh, isn't it? The the evil organization which is Death to Spies. And it never it never mentions Smirsh. It just kind of mentions this um this Russian, however you say death to spies in Russia. Yeah. Um but it wouldn't really yeah, you would never think of that unless you were a Bond geek and knew knew all of this. But I was like just thinking that is Smirsh, but then nothing nothing to do with the rest of the plot is relevant to smirch they never say that it is part of this overall evil evil kind of consortium or anything like that but yeah yeah i just i liked i liked that but it never really went anywhere anywhere it didn't really tie into the rest of the plot which i thought was a bit yeah oh i i treat it as more of like the marvel films where they've got those easter eggs in you know that stuff in the background it's like if you're a diehard fan you will pick those out and those sorts of things, I, I I consider that as one of those things that maybe was never going to be. Um, I think it's more of a reference to the book. Oh, I haven't read the the book. I think this is actually. I think Living Daylight is actually starts as a short story rather than a fully fledged um, book. But I wonder if it's they've just taken or lifted it from the page and haven't. Maybe they're relying on the fans to know what that means. But I I, I guess. I would like to have seen it gone somewhere, but there's also got this uh, nod to the diehard fans to say, here's a little yeah. Easter egg of um, other things in the Bond world that people might have might be aware of. So yeah, that's a good good observation. Cool. Yeah, okay. That's, um, that's it. Yeah. That's it for me. So now we've gone through well, pretty much everything. Um, we'll go over to you for your summary and then your rating of living daylights okay um so rating first of all i've given it eight out of ten um and actually talking it's, it's a very high eight mm. it's a very high eight um i really enjoyed it i i think timothy dalton did just hit the mark straight away um just took on took on that that character really really well and and i just I liked him throughout. I liked Bond. There wasn't any moment where I didn't, I didn't like him, which is often, often can be the case with with Bonds. You think, oh, he's a bit of an ass, but I just, I liked him throughout this. And um, yeah, like I said, it is it is kind of that new era Bond, and it, he just sets it up really well. Amazing action sequences. I, I love that whole piece at the end. Just really, really love it. Um, I like the Cara relationship. I, I like how it's played out from start to finish. Really like that. Um, it's got good chases. It's got good gadgets. It's got a plot that's 
that's worthy of a Bond film, but isn't kind of all encompassing and doesn't take over. Um, I like that. I like the ending that is is it's a nice, it's a cute ending. It's not a cheesy ending. It's not fucking robotic dog perving on an old man and a young girl. It's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a it's a great Bond film, and like you said, it's a it's a great film as well, regardless of whether it's Bond or not. Um, yeah, really action packed. Quite quite um, surprising. It's still a PG as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm pretty much going to say the exact same. It's a high eight for me. I was I was teetering on a nine because I think more because I appreciated and enjoyed it so much more this time round than I did last time. But there are a few things that that knocked it back. So ne- getting the negatives out of the way, I think I personally prefer when there's a clear cut villain. Like I'd rather have one dynamic, interesting villain than spread out between. I don't mind the henchman. The henchman has its purpose as it's like second in command, but I always prefer to have a clear henchman that's a one-on-one with Bond rather than like personalities split between two or three different characters. Um, so there's that. I, I think um, Brad Whitaker is, is a good, dumb villain, but he's quite forgettable in the the list of Bond villains we've had so far that have all got these unique traits that are quite easily identifiable. I don't think he has that and, and can kind of, and I, I juggle that because this is obviously supposed to be a more realistic uh, Bond film. You can't necessarily have a one guy that's got, you know, uh, hooks for hands, one guy who's got a scar over his eye. And so there's some points where it's like, yeah, it kind of just needs to be a military guy. So, you know, for that reason, I kind of get that. It's going to be a bit more grounded and realistic. Like this could this could be a person in real life that is doing this sort of thing. Um, and I think Kara... So, yeah, that, that's pretty much the negatives out of the way. I think the theme tune as well is, is just okay. And, but I think it's just lost in the fact that the rest of the film is just so good. Um, I think the main point for me is, yeah, T- Timothy Dalton has just nailed the... I just really appreciate that he's just gone, I'm not going to be Roger Moore. I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't think he's looked at Connery or Lazenby or Moore and, and maybe taken a bit of Connery, but he's kind of put his own stamp. And I really respect that. And I think... We mentioned as well about Daniel Craig's probably taken more from Dalton than anyone else, but Dalton has kind of put his his own spin on on the 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 Bond character, which I really like and probably favour more than the others so far. Perhaps um, action is great. The whole like you've just said, we won't I won't go on too much about it, but the airport scene is great. Um, the Q branch scene is fun. Um, yeah, it's just great. I love the the new turn it's gone down. Um, it's it's got this kind of juxtaposition of being sweet and uh, cute on one hand with the love story, but then it's also got this really gritty side that Bond has. Like the scene that I have, we haven't mentioned where one of his like allies gets killed through a like a sliding door that kind of crushes him, and then it's got that. Um, I can't remember what it says in Russian, but it's death to spies on the balloon and yeah. Bond grabs a balloon and out of like rage, just pops the balloon and is just off on one. Like that intensity is like, we haven't seen that from Bond, Like he's full of rage at that point And he just fucking runs after him and almost shoots a kid. Doesn't he? He like pulls <laughs> yeah. a gun on a kid. He's like, fuck, chill out, man. Like it's so intense. Like just calm down. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love this version of Bond. I think it's great, and it feeds massively into Daniel Craig, which again we'll cover those as as we get onto those. But yeah, high eight. I think it's so good. Uh, really enjoyed it, and I'm so so looking forward to License to Kill as well because if if I I I remember liking License to Kill, and I don't remember liking Living Daylights that much years and years ago. So the fact I've really enjoyed this. I'm wondering where that puts me in liking um, *License to Kill* as well as the next uh, Timothy Dalton film. So, on the back of that, then, where does this currently rank for you in the list of Bond films so far? So, this is in my top five now, at number five. It's between so, um, *Fioris* only at four and *Doctor No* at six. Oh, okay. So. I juggled this for ages. I've been switching it since I watched it like middle of last week. So yeah, it's in yeah, my no number. Way. Yeah, it's, it's in my top five as well. It's at number four and it's between Dr. No and I hate to say it, I've put it in front of You Only Live Twice. Really? Yeah. And I don't get me wrong. I love You Only Live Twice. But the thing I was weighing them up in my head, I was like, the thing that brings down you only live twice is when they try to make James Bond Japanese. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's, I, that's interesting, isn't it? Can you, um, can you imagine now after watching living daylights, then the next bond, he, he Japaneses himself up and <laughs> you can, you can do it. Could you? Exactly. And I think, I know, yeah i just think like you said you can get away with it now and if i'm really honest now i've watched both of those like relatively recently if someone said you could out of the two what would you watch i would pick living daylights i think i think it's more fun i think it's you know all of the different components of a bond film that we've like make notes about most of these are ticked like really well so uh, yeah, I've put it as my number four, which I was sho- I was shocked by, but I'm like now I'm convinced it's it is that good. Yeah, um, no, it is. Yeah, it's really good. And I didn't mention as well the henchman who I think's um, a great a great character and definitely yeah. definitely does make a, a big thing to me. Definitely. Cool. Okay. So thanks again for uh, today talking Living Daylight. So obviously, like I mentioned a moment ago, the next one is License to Kill. So uh, before we close then, as a film as well, is this one that you don't remember or you do remember as being good or bad or what are your... I think actually you've watched this, haven't you, already? I have. I have watched it. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to say anything, but I didn't. Mm. I didn't remember it. I, I went into it with high expectations because of because of watching this, but with um, yeah, I really couldn't have told you anything about anything about it. Um, so yeah, look forward to discussing. Okay, I'm glad you're keeping. Uh, but I also hate that you're keeping. You're giving nothing away. <laughs> I all I remember is this was the first 15 rated Bond film. So that that grittiness. Yeah. The grittiness escalates in the next one, which is fine by me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again for today, talking Living Daylights, and we'll speak to you next time for License to Kill. Yeah, cool. See you next time. Cheers, mate. <laughs>